Welcome back, everyone, to the book review podcast today. This is Unknown Friends, season two, episode eight, and I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wan Productions. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today, and if you enjoy what you hear and would like to get access to more uh, literary content from me, you can join the Unknown Friends community on Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash unknown friends. I hope you caught our bonus episode earlier this week, a uh, read aloud of the opening chapter of Agnes Gray, Anne Bronte's novel that I reviewed last Wednesday, which gave you a glimpse of the kind of bonus content you can expect if you become an Unknown Friends patron. So you can learn more about partnering with me on Patreon at that link, which you'll find in the episode description, patreon.com slash unknownfriends. All right, so today's book review, a novel published in 2018 entitled Virgil Wander and written by Leif Enger. You've heard me talk about Leif Enger quite a lot. His first novel published in 2001 was Peace Like a River, which I reviewed last season and decided was unquestionably my favorite read of 2020. Absolutely loved the book. I recommend it to everyone, and I'm actually giving away free copies of it to what I call the super patrons of my podcast on Patreon. In comparison to Peace Like a River, Enger's newest book, Virgil Wander, is both familiar and unexpected. I'll go ahead and lay my cards out on the table and tell you right now I did not enjoy it as much as I did Enger's first novel. Uh, I did not enjoy it as much as I'd hoped to. That said, while I definitely have some critiques of Virgil Wander I want to share with you, I don't mean to imply the book is without merit. And so I'm going to do my very best to give you a balanced review. Now, first, to quickly refresh your memory on the author himself, since it's been quite a few months since we discussed his biography in our review of Peace Like a River, Leif Enger is an American writer, author of three novels now. His middle novel, which I haven't yet mentioned, is called So Brave, Young, and Handsome, which I admit is a title that maybe turns me off slightly, but I haven't yet read the book and I do intend to since I love and have faith in Enger's writing and storytelling abilities, uh, even despite what I consider to be Virgil Wander's shortcomings. Leif Enger was born in 1961 and is a Minnesota native where he still lives with his wife Robin after having raised their two sons together. And his family, of course, as we discussed back in season one, very much inspired and uh, nurtured his first novel, Peace Like a River. And I think they're probably present in everything he writes. I believe all three of his novels are dedicated to his wife, and maybe one of the dedications also references his two sons. So what is this book all about? The title is also the name of the main character and narrator, Virgil Wander, owner of a bygone movie theater called The Empress, and also city clerk in the little old town of Greenstone, Minnesota. Virgil is a middle-aged bachelor. His parents died when he was in his teens, and his only sister visits now and then but no longer lives in Minnesota, so Virgil is pretty much alone. 
Uh, he has friends in Greenstone, but Virgil is a quiet kind of guy, uh, good-natured, but pretty much resigned to his life as it is. And you could call him timid, or at least uh, restrained. But our story starts when Virgil, caught in an early snowstorm in the fall, has lost control of his car and driven off a cliff into Lake Superior, but was luckily rescued from the crash and has been recovering in a hospital. So in chapter one of the novel, he has just been released, having been told that he has experienced mild traumatic brain injury, and essentially he may never be quite the same. He's lost quite a bit, certain memories, words, and also interestingly some inhibitions. Uh, part one of the book is actually titled The Previous Tenant, and this is referring to what we could call the old Virgil, the Virgil wanderer before the car crash, who owned the Empress Movie Theater and lived alone there upstairs and never did anything uh, spontaneous or daring or aggressive. But now, after the car crash and you could say the clean slate it has offered, Virgil has a kind of chance to reinvent himself. Yes, of course, in a sense, he's the same person, but he feels out of place in his own home. And everything that used to be familiar feels fresh to him. Possibilities seem endless. He's hopeful, perhaps for the first time. And so, in many ways, this novel is the story of Virgil Wander's rebirth, his second chance at life. He takes risks he would never have taken before, grapples with life in a new way, uh, questions his own assumptions about life and about himself, and learns that maybe it's not too late for him to change and to look for home and happiness in places he had never dared to look before. But around Virgil, many other stories are unfolding at the same time. Uh, Leifenger develops in the inhabitants of Greenstone a very complex cast of characters, uh, complex enough that for a while I honestly had a little trouble keeping track of them all, uh, but each and every one is relevant. First and foremost, there is Rune, a stranger in Greenstone whom Virgil meets on his first day out of the hospital and who has come, in a way, to make his own fresh start. Rune is a generation older than Virgil, but he's very recently learned that he had a son, Alec, who he never knew about, uh, who lived in Greenstone and died, or rather disappeared, from Greenstone ten years earlier. And so Rune has come to Greenstone to learn about who Alec was, and also to meet his family, Alec's wife, or widow, uh, Nadine, and their son Bjorn, who's now 17 years old and only faintly remembers his dad. Now, Rune is an interesting fellow. He loves making kites and flying them and letting others fly them, uh, which is an experience that always seems to liberate the one holding the string. Kite flying definitely has a symbolic role in the novel. Uh, flying high, at the mercy of the winds, yes, but above the world, free from its burdens. Anyway, so Virgil and Rune become friends, and Rune actually ends up staying with Virgil at the Empress Theater since he has no home in Greenstone, 
and Virgil's doctor tells him he needs someone staying with him to make sure he doesn't do anything uh, stupid or dangerous in his lapses of memory or in the bouts of dizziness he sometimes experiences after release from the hospital. And somewhat through Rune, Virgil throughout the story also gets to be closer friends with Alec's widow, Nadine, and son, Bjorn, who starts working for Virgil at the movie theater. And lots of other Greenstone residents also get caught up in the winds of change that seem to be moving through the town. Uh, but I won't try to describe them all or we'll get uh, too bogged down in subplots and details that you kind of just have to experience for yourself to really understand. So let me start my review of the book with the positives. This is a likable story with likable, sympathetic characters, especially, I would say, Virgil, Rune, Nadine, and Bjorn. Leif Enger seems to defy genre classification, uh, which in some sense means he avoids cliches really well. So I think his stories and characters are unpredictable in a good way. They're distinctive and often surprising. And yet somehow that doesn't make them feel foreign or unsympathetic. Enger still manages to make them familiar in some sense and certainly winsome. And then there's his writing style, which I loved in Peace Like a River and still love in Virgil Wander. It's, uh, it's clean and colorful and colloquial without it all becoming bland or vague. Um, and his vocabulary is just wonderful. Uh, both he and also the writer Anthony Doerr of All the Light We Cannot See. Sorry, this is almost a sidetrack. But both of these authors motivate me to develop my own vocabulary more. Not just the words I know, but the words I use on a daily basis. I want to be more distinct in the way I think and speak about things when I read from these guys. Um they're both such precise and vivid writers, even though their actual styles are quite different from one another. Dor's style is perhaps more elegant, um, more distilled, more sophisticated, you might say, and more scientific, whereas Enger's is definitely more conversational and earthy. He throws around um, abstract terms more often than Dor does, I think. Um, though Enger's writing is still surprisingly concise and concrete, notwithstanding the abstracts. He somehow puts flesh on abstractions. Anyway, both writers just continually catch me off guard with the range and the specificity of their vocabulary, and it's inspiring to me and just delightful to read from them and observe the dexterous ways they describe things and communicate ideas. Now, one more word on the style of this novel. Uh, this isn't a criticism, really, just a heads up to new readers. Virgil Wander's storyline um, wanders a little, or feels like it's wandering. It takes quite a while for you to get a sense of the direction or the shape of the plot. Um, for the first, I don't know, maybe half of the story, it feels like we're just meeting side characters and following Virgil as he, in a meandering way, tries to navigate his new existence after the car crash. 
and we get backstory on him and on the other residents of Greenstone. And then a couple more dramatic events happen, but even then it's hard to understand how they connect or move the story forward meaningfully until you get well into the novel. Um, but I think this wandering of the storyline is deliberate, uh, right? It's part of the name of the book. And I imagine on a reread, it would be far, far clearer how all the seemingly disconnected events and characters really coordinate to steadily move the story forward. And it's actually Enger's skill that disguises this coordination at first. Anyway, like I said, that's not a critique, but just be prepared if you choose to read the novel that you may feel a little lost for a while, but that's okay. You're really just experiencing Virgil's new life as he experiences it, as he tries to find his bearings. Oh, and one more stylistic comment. Leif Enger also has a great sense of humor that comes through in his stories. It's often dry and understated, sometimes self-deprecating, but ultimately I think his humor is clever and charming. Just little one-liners like, Insomniacs have a leg up in the reading game, or uh, Virgil's description of his doctor as having the heartening bulk of the aging athlete defeated by pastry. <laughs> it's quirky, and maybe if it doesn't make you laugh, it at least makes you grin. But now, I can't discuss Virgil Wander and not at least mention the classical undertones in this work. The title right off makes anyone who's familiar with the ancient Greek and Roman classics think of the Aeneid, written by the poet Virgil and telling the story of the wanderings of the hero Aeneas. So I think the name Virgil Wander can't not be in some sense alluding to the Aeneid and also to its predecessors, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, especially the Odyssey, uh, which Leif Enger directly references in the novel. Nadine, Alec's widow, is described as a Penelope figure who, after her husband's disappearance, refuses a string of would-be suitors that come knocking at her door. And, of course, that makes her son, Bjorn, a kind of Telemachus figure as well, for those of you who have read the Odyssey. And, you know, in both the Odyssey and the Aeneid, we see motifs that are very present in Virgil Wander. Not just the theme of wandering, but also the imagery of storms and winds and rough seas, and the persistence of fate, especially uh, misfortune, or as Enger puts it, hard luck. And also the storyline of looking for home is at the heart of the Odyssey, the Aeneid, and Virgil Wander. Um, or more specifically, being a stranger in one's own home and being forced to fight, uh, to strive for your home, for belonging, for family. I think these are some of the main themes that connect the ancient epics to Enger's novel in really interesting ways that I unfortunately can't fully explore today. Uh, but I wanted to at least highlight that connection. And so if you read Virgil Wander, you can keep your eyes open for the classical illusions that thread their way all throughout the story. 
And we might also note that the name Virgil, it's a Roman name, of course, and the author of the Aeneid is pretty much the source of the name, but we're not quite sure of the name's meaning. The theory, however, from studying Latin root words, is that the name Virgil might mean staff bearer, which crops up in interesting ways in the novel Virgil Wander. I think Enger is absolutely aware of this uh, proposed definition of the name. Virgil, after his car crash, is a bit weak, uh, subject to dizziness and confusion at times, and no longer allowed to drive. And so Bjorn finds a long piece of driftwood that makes an admirable staff for Virgil, and they call it his stout quarterstaff, which Virgil uses throughout the story, but interestingly loses near the end. Uh, Anyway, fascinating the symbolism and the classical allusions in this novel. Now... What is it that made Virgil Wander a disappointment for me in comparison to Peace Like a River? Well, I loved Peace Like a River because not only was it a great story with amazing characters and well-structured and well-written, but it was a Christian novel like I had never encountered before. It was not a sermon, it was a story, but its characters, especially the father, Jeremiah Land, lived a Christian life. And as the reader, you got to witness the strength and the struggle and the triumph of that life. Faith, difficult, yes, but wholehearted, infuses peace like a river. And truly, it was among the most beautiful things I've ever read. Virgil Wander, to me, felt limp after the full-bodied faith of Peace Like a River. The characters are mostly amiable, struggling, wounded, grateful, um, unstable, sometimes kind, mostly well-intentioned. But what I'm trying to say is the morality of Virgil Wander is bland, in my opinion. God hardly seems to enter the picture. The occasional references to him are mostly dismissive, or at least apathetic. To be frank, when I read Virgil Wander, I almost thought that maybe the author had personally stepped away from the Christian faith. But this is not the case. And it helped very much to read and listen to several interviews people have conducted with Leif Anger about this novel. And I learned some interesting details that I thought I'd share with you. So Enger has actually referred to Virgil Wander as his most Christian, though least evangelical, novel. And he elaborated on that comment in at least two of the interviews I found. So in one place, Enger explained that by evangelical, he's thinking of Christians who evangelize, who try to win people to Christ specifically through argument. And he said he believes a lot of this is futile. He said he could not think of a single person he knows who has been argued into the kingdom of God. That instead, people are attracted to the figure of Jesus. Uh, People encounter him and their eyes are opened and their wounds are healed. Now, in theory, I agree with that. 
Uh, I wouldn't dismiss the power of argument quite so strongly, though. Uh, C.S. Lewis, for instance, who Enger referenced in this same interview as the first author who had a uh, resounding, eye-opening effect on him as a child through the Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis, I would say, was argued into the kingdom of God. Uh, Not that relationship or encountering Christ played no part in Lewis's conversion, uh, but there was very much a rational argument for Christianity that worked to persuade Lewis. Anyway, but I can agree with Enger that, by and large, people are one to Christ through relationship. But what I might add is that Jesus doesn't just open their eyes and heal their wounds, as Enger said, but he also changes their minds, their way of thinking. That's what repentance literally means in the New Testament, a change of thinking. In fact, a radical change of thinking. If you trace, uh, for instance, the parables Christ tells and just the way he contradicts people's assumptions, and not the assumptions only of the scribes and Pharisees, but also of his own close disciples. Anyway, um, but I'm, I'm not sure I see this, this radical change of thinking, which of course changes what we value and do in, uh, in Virgil Wander's version of Christianity. Now, in this same interview I've mentioned, Leif Enger went on to describe a community of acceptance, which is something central he wanted to portray in the novel. He said that we all want a place where we can go and be accepted as we are, and he depicted a form of this kind of community in Virgil Wander's movie theater and the friend group that uh, forms around him there. And this is where I think my understanding of Christianity and Enger's perhaps go separate ways. Acceptance, in my mind, is such, such a drab lackluster concept compared to the love of God that cares enough about us to not only heal our wounds and open our eyes, but also mold us into the glorious likeness of his own son as we allow him to to clean and change us. I see that as missing in Virgil Wander. Instead, the highest good seems to be, well, you could say acceptance or, as Enger described in another interview, decency. Let me quote you uh, directly from Enger's explanation in this other interview when asked about the Christianity of Virgil Wander. He says, quote, This book doesn't concern itself with either orthodoxy or politics, but with decency, which is faith's unsung expression. Decency allows a person to say, What if I'm wrong here? I've come to suspect that faith needs doubt in order to be real, as there's no courage without fear. I'm drawn to pilgrims and skeptical of zealots. Years ago, I felt differently, but as the song says, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. Okay, so again, I see where Enger is coming from. And I too would say I'm skeptical of people who believe they know everything, people who aren't willing to question themselves. And perhaps zealot is a fair term to describe people who think they have it all figured out. But unfortunately, that then 
tends to throw the term zealous in a bad light, which I don't think is fair. I think Christians can be zealous in their faith without being zealots, without being arrogant or unteachable. Uh, We can be pilgrims in this journey of life. We can be humble followers of Christ. And we can, and I think should, be zealous in our pilgrimage. But what Enger seems to offer instead of zeal is decency. And I find that disappointing. He calls decency faith's unsung expression. But honestly, I can't even figure out exactly what he means by decency. It's such a hollow term. See, the novel Virgil Wander upholds kindness and empathy, but in the end, the story seems to hold people to very little. Personal responsibility is almost dismissed. And I would say even decency, whatever that is, is not consistently required of the characters. For the most part, this doesn't appear like a huge problem because most of the characters do treat one another decently, but there are hints of very dark things that happen on the outskirts or under the surface of the community, and people do not seem to be held accountable for these things. For instance, um, a married woman pretty clearly has an affair with one of the other characters, which contributes to the disintegration of her already crumbling marriage, and yet I never picked up any suggestion of blame laid against her. In fact, by the end of the story, she is flourishing. Uh, But this instance of infidelity isn't all. Uh, Abortion is mentioned, and blatant dishonesty... And a character at one point is in love with his friend's wife. And marriage in general is regarded, I would say, less meaningfully than it deserves. And none of these things are dealt with. Yes, they're all complex issues. I'm not saying there's an easy way to deal with them. But they all just get shrugged off. And I feel like that's a bit irresponsible on the part of a Christian author. So, but decency. Even if all the characters are held to a standard of decency, I don't understand how that is faith's unsung expression. I mean, sure, when people are kind to each other, the world is a pleasanter place to live, but there's so much more to Christianity and faith than that. A community can be developed in which people don't just accept one another. They love one another as Christ loves. Is that rare? Of course it is. It's unique to Christianity, and even there it's less common than it could be. But it is possible. In a deeply rooted, Christ-filled community, we can appreciate one another's strengths, bear one another's burdens, rejoice together, mourn together, and sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron, which is not possible if you settle for just accepting one another as we are and never striving for something deeper than that. So if community and Christianity in Virgil Wander have nothing more to offer than decency, then I'm sticking with Peace Like a River, (laughs) that blazing song of innocence as we discussed last season. Um, I have to say, I liked Leif Enger's work more when it was more zealous. So there you have it. 
I, I don't enjoy being this critical of an author. Um, and let me say my disappointment with the worldview presented in Virgil Wander has not shaken my love of Peace Like a River or my appreciation for Leif Enger's skill as a writer. Uh, I think Virgil Wander is another witness to Enger's unique and remarkable talents. His disarming sense of humor, his knack for creating unconventional characters and storylines, his close and loving observation of the world around him, and his ability to put those observations into surprisingly perfect words. It's his worldview only that I have some qualms with in Virgil Wander, and I wouldn't be doing my job as a book reviewer if I didn't share those with you. So I hope this discussion of the novel has helped. Um, I, I haven't actually stated this yet, but it is a book written for adults. Now, I can't quite say that there's anything I'd call inappropriate for teens in the book, but it's close. Um, and either way, the target audience is definitely adults, so that's who I would recommend it for. In my opinion, it is worth reading for Enger's characters and writing style, and also for the opportunity it gives us to engage with someone else's worldview, whether or not we agree with it. Now, I must wrap up. So that is all today for Virgil Wander by Leif Enger. Next week, our book review will feature a classic of children's literature, which has so much to offer us, whether we are kids or adults. The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. I loved rereading this book for the first time in quite a few years, and I'm so looking forward to sharing with you some thoughts about it. If you have not read or reread The Wind in the Willows recently, let me just say I highly recommend it. You can listen to my review of the book next Wednesday on March 10th in our ninth episode of the season. Thanks for listening today. I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and to learn more about me and my writing, you can visit kittywhamproductions.com. You can also join the Unknown Friends community on Patreon at patreon.com slash unknown friends. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.